All right, well, hey, welcome everybody in the room, everybody tuning in online. And at the 14, thank you, Ports Live locations, we are continuing this series. We're all freaking out and why we don't have to, talking about really crucial topics of mental health, anxiety, uh, soon depression, stress, and what God has to say about these crucial topics. So tonight, we're going to look at uh, what I think is one of the key contributors to the experience of being robbed of peace and experiencing anxiety and stress and panic. And to do so, I'm going to start by showing you all a picture of what was one of the first clocks in Europe. Now, you look at that and you wonder, where is the clock? Because it doesn't look like there's any part of that clock. This was one of the first clock towers ever erected, or the first clock tower ever erected in Milan, Italy. Shout out to everybody. We've got a big Milan porch group out there. And that's not true at all. But this <laughs> clock was erected and was transformational in the relationship that the West or Europe and eventually America would have with time itself. But here's what's crazy about this clock. Like I said, there's no face, there's no dial. It was a clock that was programmed to beat every hour and the number of times that it beat throughout the city of Milan would indicate the hour of day that it was. So at one o'clock in the morning, it would beat one time. At midnight, it would beat 24 times. At two, it'd beat two. At six, it would beat six. And here's why this was transformational. Prior to this, and eventually after it was erected in Milan, the clock spread like wildfire and specifically a public clock in town spread all throughout Europe and became a normal part of everyday life. But imagine how transformative that would have been. Prior to this time, the relationship people had with time was all based around the sun. In other words, sun goes up, time to get up and start the day. Sun goes down, I'm not exactly sure what time it is. Is it seven, is it eight? It doesn't matter, there's no electricity. We're all going to bed anyways. And the clock introduced a new relationship where no longer was society or humanity governed by the sun one writer wrote that it was an act of rebellion by saying we are no longer living underneath the jurisdiction of the sun. Now we have been liberated and now if we want to get up and meet at six in the morning, we can go meet because we got six drum beats that just happened. And that began to spread like crazy. And the pluses and minuses of living in a world that can be governed by the nine to five, 24 hours a day, seven days a week began to be a part of everyday normal life. And then fast forward a few centuries later and something was introduced called the light bulb. And our relationship previously to the light bulb, even though the clock was around, we know it's seven o'clock, but you, know, you light a fire and that's basically what you do. Everybody's camping essentially for all of life. And then we get something called electricity and the light bulb and we're able to say, man, just give the middle finger basically to the sun and say, we don't even need you anymore. We can work all the way into the night and society and culture continued to get faster and faster and work longer and longer. And the modern age began. And we live in a time in world history that is relatively new speaking, where our understanding and you know, having a clock is just a normal part of everyday life and electricity and doing things into the evening. I mean, the porch could not have existed 100 years ago because, or 150 years ago because of electricity. It's pretty crazy to think about. And yet all of that transformation has also increased something in our society called stress. Where despite the fact that now the blessing of being able to work and work and work has also come with the curse of being able to work and work 
and work and take all of the side effects that come along with that. America as a country is one of the most overworked nations on earth. If there was a gold medal for you know, most rested, America would not come close. There are more unused vacation days for the average American than any other country on earth. 86% of men and 67% of women work over 40 hours a week. It is one of the most highly overworked group on the planet that takes the least amount of vacations and experiences some of the highest levels of anxiety, stress, and depression. Here's something further that's crazy. This was crazy, man. Just giving this for free. Until about the 1920s, the term that we use, if you talk to your friends probably today and you ask like, man, how's your day? How's life going? You're catching up. They'd be like, good, just under a lot of stress. Did you know that phrase would not have made sense a hundred years ago? I'm talking like the beginning of the Roaring Twenties. Nobody would have understood what do you even mean? I'm really stressed. Why do I say that? Because prior to the 1920s, the use of the word stress never was used to describe an emotional experience or a person's life or a season that they were in. It wasn't personal. It was always physics. In other words, stress would have been a term that was used in the world of physics when someone would see maybe a metal beam or see some object having weight placed on it and a beam would have been stressed out when it reached the breaking point. Does that make sense? And it's almost as though somebody saw a beam like, man, it's about to snap. And I feel like that's my life. (laughs) And they began to say, I feel so stressed out. And it caught on like wildfire. And now we say it all the time. You, of course, understand. If somebody says I'm stressed, you're like, oh, man, (laughs) who's not? (laughs) Because we understand. And yet one of the key contributors to you having anxiety or key things that will inhibit you from experiencing the peace that God wants to mark your life is stress, being overwhelmed, panicked. And so we're gonna look at some of the truths that God has given in a story that was recorded thousands of years ago because God is passionate. He does not want that to mark your life. He wants you to experience peace, this ability to catch your breath, to not feel like, man, I'm constantly like overwhelmed, but to feel peace. And we're gonna do so by looking at a story that points to some of the sources of stress that are still common today, some of the side effects that anytime stress is present in our life are often present, and then the solution to experiencing a life that's not marked by stress but by peace through our relationship with Christ. So we're going to look in Luke chapter 10. If you have a Bible, you can flip open to Luke chapter 10. It's a very famous story. If you grew up in church, you probably heard it, but you may have misunderstood actually the profound teaching Jesus gives us. It's Jesus' interaction with two ladies, Sisters named Mary and Martha, who were two of Jesus' closest friends. They had another sibling named Lazarus. And Mary and Martha were two disciples who knew Jesus, ran with him. And in the interaction they have with Jesus, we're given some of the glimpses into our own experience and interaction with stress and what Jesus has to say about it. So I'm going to read through this story really quick, and then we'll point through the sources, side effects, and solution. It says this in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him, invited him in. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, Jesus, sitting in the living room, all the disciples around, Mary sitting there and ask, Lord, don't you care that my sister 
has left me to do all the work by myself. Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset or troubled, your translation may have, about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So, pretty simple story. Jesus goes into town, this village. There's a woman named Martha. She owns a home. She invites Jesus in, and she's going to you know, whip something up. She's getting hummus and chopping up tomatoes and doing whatever she's doing in the kitchen. And she begins to feel overwhelmed. And Mary, her freeloader sister, because it's not Mary's house, it's Martha's house. Martha's paying the mortgage. And Mary's just in there sitting like a freeloader at the feet of Jesus. And she comes to Jesus and says, man, hook your sister up. What, what are you, you're just going to leave me out here? Make me chop up all of the olives in here by myself? Can you help me out and tell my sister to come help me? And Jesus says, man, you are overwhelmed and worried and stressed. And he addresses something going on on the inside. And he gets to something incredibly profound that we'll cover here in a second. But the first I do want to talk about is some of the sources of stress. Because the sources of stress that Martha exhibits are some of the same sources that we all exhibit. I mean, you've got to feel it. Like, here's my hot take on Martha. Martha gets a bad rap. I think if you lived in the first century and you were a guy, you wanted to date and marry Martha. If Chris Harrison was around, well, I guess he's not around anymore anyways, but if Chris Harrison or Bachelor was around back then and they were looking for a bachelorette, I think Martha is at the top of the list. She's a go-getter. She's responsible. She owns a house. Mary is some hippie on the floor and Martha's in there cooking dinner. She's making a meal. I mean, this is a girl that there's a lot to respect about. And yet with all that respectability also came that she was carrying a lot of stress, particularly even stress that was attacking and impacting her relationship with Jesus, the Son of God sitting in her living room. And so I want to walk through a few of the sources of stress because I think they're so parallel to the same things that are sources of stress in our life, that if we're going to experience more freedom from it, I believe God tonight wants to Deepen the amount of peace in your heart. But to do so, we've got to address some of the sources that are filling our heart with stress. Well, the first source of stress is she had stress from all she had to get done. Let me read, read the text again, because this, this is like our life. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Who said they had to be made? Jesus, we're not told Jesus commanded, hey, Martha, I want you to go in there and make that favorite dish, a little soup. If you wouldn't mind, bring me a Topachico as well. We're not told he said any of that stuff. We're told that Martha just said, Jesus is coming over. He, she feels the all that has to be done, pressure on her life, that I have to do this. I have to get something ready, and the guys are coming in, and i got to make something special. I mean, it's Jesus. I can't just give him fish and loaves. That's just an everyday meal. i got to whip up something good. And she begins to build into this pressure of all that had to be done. We're not told that... Anything had to be done. But this is the same stress source that impacts so much of our life. Where I can find myself going, man, I, I have to do this. I have to do this. Or you can find yourself believing, man, I, man, I have to go to that happy hour if I'm going to get in a good relationship with my boss. Oh, man, I have to be on social media to, in order to you know, have some interactions, keep up with people from high school. I have to start a side hustle, probably Etsy, in order to keep up. I have to be on dating apps in order to find a relationship or I'm going to be the cat lady for forever. I have to be, I have to be, I have to be. I got to go to church, have to get in a small group, have to pay more bills, have to get a new car. When you don't have to do any of that. Or we just fall victim to this, oh, I have to, I have to. Who said you had to? 
If anything, you get to. But you're going to experience stress when you live in this, oh, no, I have to, I have to, I have to. I have to make sure that, you know, it's my friend's birthday. I have to make sure that I send a message of, it's happy birthday. I have to, I have to. And Martha fell into that little whisper of, you have to, you have to, you have to. Which anytime is present and acted on just increases stress inside of our life. A friend of mine this week said, Instagram is like a living to-do list for me. I thought this was brilliant. And by that, she meant, I go on there and I am confronted with the things that I need to do that I wasn't even thinking that I needed to do. Here's what I mean. I get on there and somebody posts their picture of their engagement and I'm like, oh man, add to the subconscious to-do list, find a boyfriend or just a guy. Add to the to-do list when I see someone's car, man, my car is total garbage. Or when I see someone's vacation, add to the to-do list, make more money so that I can go on vacations, that it just feeds this, feeds this, have to. And like Martha, anytime that's present, it's going to just fuel stress. There are a few things you have to. There's a lot of things you get to and hit the pressure relief. You don't have to do anything. Another source is the idea that it all depends on me. Martha was operating underneath this mentality of, man, it all depends on me. It all depends on me. I mean, she could have gone into Jesus. What's crazy is like three chapters earlier before this, Jesus takes a kid's lunchable and he turns two fish and a few loaves into enough to feed 5,000 people. I mean, previously, he'd already turned water into wine. Imagine if Martha was like, look, hey, Jesus, you didn't really give me a lot of time. There's no clocks here, so we wouldn't have known anyways. But point being, how about we do that water into wine thing or the fish and loaves thing, and you multiply it to feed the boys? Because mama ain't got time right now. And she could have had everything that she needed. But she bought it in this mentality of, man, I need to do it on my own. It all depends on me. Another source of stress we see from, from Martha is she was distracted. She was distracted. That's what the text says in verse 40. Just like that phone is distracted right now. <laughs> she was distracted. What do I mean? The word that's translated for distracted is to be pulled in many directions. It was actually an ancient form of torture, uh, French torture, an execution that was called death by distraction. And it was a medieval practice where they would tie ropes around the, uh, each four limbs. So rope on your leg, each leg, rope on each arm. And then they would tie those ropes to horses and have the horses run in four different directions in order to have death by distraction, being pulled apart. And that same idea is still relevant today where distraction and being pulled in every different direction can bring death into our lives, death with relationships, death in your ability to be present with other people, death in your intimacy with God, that there still can be distraction. And Martha was distracted with all that she needed to get done. It wasn't even sinful things. Like this is what's really important. You can experience a level of distraction that impacts your relationship with God in a negative way. And it's not even bad things. You're not choosing between, hey, today should I go commit armed robbery or go to church? It's just being bombarded with a bunch of distractions, which right now, you can't even focus on what I'm saying because you're bombarded with all the things that emails you may not have sent or what somebody may have liked or commented on a post that you had and it's just fueling distraction. It's probably never been easier thanks to the iPhone. 2011 or 2007, Steve Jobs created a device that 
transformed or has transformed our world as much as the printing press did in 1490, where now we live with portable computers that bombard us with information. And part of it is amazing. Like you can be sitting right now where you're at and order something from Amazon and it will beat your house by the time you get there. You wanna know the best sushi place in town? Wonder no more. There's an app called Yelp. Fastest way to get home, Waze app. Got you all day long. Whatever you wanna know, what are the symptoms of measles or the black plague? Check out WebMD, it's got it. And yet at the benefit of all that information, it's also study after study showing it is impacting our physiological stress levels. Heart rates, ability to sleep are all being negatively impact, impacted. The average young adult, one study showed, touches their phone between 2,700 and 4,000 times a day. You're asleep for eight of those hours, hopefully. Do the math. It's just touching, swiping, clicking. And this incredible gift has also come at an incredible ability or with an incredible ability to distract our ability to be present. So I want to do something that you probably have not done in a long time. I want you to take your phone right now. Take it out. Everybody take their phone out, okay? Lift it up. All of you rule followers are doing it. The ones who are not rule followers, the ones that are not doing it, take your phone out right now. Got it? Okay? I want you to bring them up to the stage. We're going to give them up. No, I'm just kidding. I want you to take your phone. I want you to turn it off. I want you to say, man, this thing's not my master for 20 minutes. And half of you are going to do it. The other half are going to show and prove my point that it is your master. So I want you to take it right now. And you haven't done this. You may not have ever done this. So if you have an iPhone, I can walk you through it. You push this button and this button and you slide it off. If you have an Android, you are dismissed. And um, I'm totally kidding. It's a joke. It's a joke. I love the Android people. Don't email. It's a total joke. Can email on an Android, though? I feel like I'm safe. But point being, turn off your phone. <laughs> what am I doing? I'm roasting Android people? <laughs> and for the next 20 minutes, 20 minutes, look at me right now, because half of you guys, or a third of you, you still haven't done it, and you're like, no, I'm not going to do it. I want to keep checking TikTok. Turn it off for 20 minutes, and you'll experience more peace, and I'll tell you why at the end, which is for the next handful of minutes, and I know what you're thinking, what if there's an emergency? Our tech team is going to keep their phones on, so if we get, you know, bombed by China, they're going to let us know, (laughs) or whoever. I'm going to get another email for that. Good grief. (laughs) And everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. But that ability to be, con- to be somewhere and be constantly bombarded where you're even trying to read the Bible app and you're getting texts and notifications and it is pulling your attention in different directions. And just like Martha, it is creating stress and anxiety and a low-grade anxiety. One study said that the constant influx of information is what is triggering and keeps us in a constant state of experiencing a low-grade anxiety at all times. That we were not made to be constantly bombarded with potential for information. Third source we see from her is fear. Number three source of stress is fear. And if you take notes on your phone, don't take notes. Just keep it there. Don't turn it back on. You little phone addict, you, you keep it where it is. But the third thing that she has is fear. That Jesus says, hey, you're worried and you're anxious about many things. You're upset. You're troubled about many things. Just like her Stress was driven by fear. A lot of our stress is driven by fear. What do I mean? Like, we can overwork ourselves and feel like 
I need to be successful. I need to be seen as somebody that people look at and go, wow, he's amazing. And so I let that drive or that desire to be seen some way by other people drive me to the place where I work so much. I'm constantly looking for deals. I'm constantly starting another side hustle. I'm constantly devoted to building my accomplishment list, which is driven by a fear of not being seen a certain way. Uh, a fear of being left behind is another one. Or a fear of not keeping up with everyone else in our life, of relationships, of getting married, of having children, of buying a home. That fear can creep in and create an angst of, oh my goodness, I need to do more. And it's fear, just like with Martha, that was driving her to please or get approval. Fear of not being enough is often what contributes to our stress. And we're gonna walk through the solutions. I'm just setting up the conversation of all these things that can drive so much of the stress that we carry around. I remember talking to a friend of mine who was in ministry and just like with any job, if you're passionate about it and you like it, it can be challenging to run at a sustainable pace. And I remember talking to him, he's older, he's farther down the road. And I just said, man, how do you like maintain healthy boundaries and also take on responsibilities and do it all? And he said something that I'll never forget. Asked him that question, we're talking on the phone. It was like silence for just a second. He said, I'm gonna tell you the answer. I need you to listen very closely, all right? You become okay with letting everyone down. There's gonna be people that are gonna think, well, he should have called me on my birthday or he should have come to that party or he should have worked later or I wonder what he's doing this weekend and why he didn't come here. There's gonna be people for the rest of your life that are not gonna understand you, that are not gonna know everything that you're going through. They're gonna put expectations that they never even verbalize on you. And you gotta come to the place where you say, I don't live for everyone else's approval because if I do, I'm fighting a battle I'll never win. I live for God's approval. And so at the end of the day, I'm gonna stand before him and say, I've tried to be faithful and handle and do everything I can. But if I live for a life that doesn't ever disappoint someone, it's never gonna happen. And so you've gotta die to the idol of approval of people, the fear of letting someone down. It'll just drive you to stress. Finally, all of that drives us to a life where the reason for a busyness uh, Corey Ten Boom was a Holocaust survivor, a Christian. She said, if the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. The reason number four that we bring on stress is we just are doing too much. That phone went off. You are ousted, bro. You are ousted. You are just, no, I'm kidding. All right. That it'll make us busy. There's an old acronym or acrostic that was busy, standing for being under Satan's yoke. That if he can make you busy, He'll take your eyes off of where life is found. He'll get you going through constantly, just going through the motions and the treadmill of life, never actually going anywhere that matters. But you'll be busy. So those are some of the sources that bring stress in. And then there's some of the side effects that we see paralleled in Martha's story that are in our own. Where In verse 40, it says this. She came to Jesus and she asked him. Remember, Jesus is sitting there in the living room. Everybody's sitting around listening to the teaching of Jesus, and Martha's in the kitchen, whipping up scrambling eggs or doing whatever she's doing, and she interrupts Jesus and she says, Lord, don't you care 
that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself. I love it. The manipulation and the like just passive aggressiveness just bleeds off the pages. Is this because you're not a caring God, Jesus? Is that why this is? Don't you care? Tell her to come help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things. The side effects of stress. Martha is telling Jesus what to do. It's not a good look. And you contrast that to Mary, who is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening what to do. And Martha, because of all the stress that's taking place, she does what often happens when you're stressed, you reach for control. You reach to try to control situations, relationships, circumstances, what people think. And she reaches, and the direction she reaches is an attempt to control her sister and control God himself. She's blaming another side effect. It's not just control. She's blaming other people for her problems. Hey, my sister is why I'm so stressed. Why don't you tell her to come in here and come help me? She's, in essence, even blaming Jesus. Don't you care? And Martha's telling him what to do. This same thing happens today. When we're distracted, we get self-centered, stressed because God is not doing the things that we expect God to do. That we bargained with him. God, I told you that if I went to church, then you were going to bring someone and a healthy relationship along. God, if I'm honest in these finances, then you are supposed to let this startup work. And we allow stress to lead us to attempt to control. She asked the question, Lord, don't you care because if you did then you would tell Martha to get in here baked into that assumption is a pretty profound truth a pretty profound presupposition she's starting with if you cared you would behave how I expect you to behave and so because God you are not behaving or the situation is now not how I expect it to be, you must not care about me. She's doing something that human experience includes. Of God, because I'm looking at my situation and how things are going and what's going on in life, and I don't like the way it looks, I can conclude you must not care about me. Now, if I'm Jesus and I'm sitting there and I'm trying to teach and who knows what he's walking them through, some of the parables or whatever he's teaching in the living room and he's getting interrupted by a woman in an apron who's saying, why don't you care about me? You gotta be thinking he's going, Martha, of course I care. In 11 days, I'm gonna be crucified on a cross for you. Of course I care. And just because you can't connect the dots on how I could care in this situation doesn't mean that I don't care. I prove on the cross how much I care for Martha and how much he cares for you, how much he cares for me, that I will even die on the cross for you. Now this brings up a really challenging thing in life that you've gotta have some awareness of if you read the Bible and you hear pastors like myself say, hey, God cares about you. We just sang a song, if he clothes the lilies and if he watches the sparrow, how much more will he care for you? And that's the truth. But your definition of care is really important in that. Because it may not always be that God acts in a way that you think God should act because he cares about you. What do I mean? I've got a three-year-old daughter. She, her name's Monroe. 
She's a firecracker. Pray for us. And she will, if we let her, she would eat Pringles for every meal. I mean, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack. And if it wasn't that, then it would be Cheetos or some other incredibly unhealthy food. Now, because we love her and care for her, there are times where, as good parents, we don't allow her to just eat Cheetos or don't just allow her to eat junk food. Why? Because we don't care? No, because we care for her. And she thinks, you guys hate me. You don't listen to me. First, you wouldn't let me wear the dress I wanted to wear, and now the Pringles. And she will think, my parents don't care. But because she's three, she can't connect the dots. She can't fully understand it. I think the same experience happens with us and God. Where, though we're older than three, just at 24, you think that you will fully able always comprehend the wisdom of an infinite God who is a far greater distance between my age and my daughter's age than my age and God and who he is. And there are times where God absolutely would say, yes, I care. Do not draw the conclusion that I don't just based on things not being how you want. And Martha is confronted with this. There's another occasion where Martha experienced this reality, and it was one that is probably one of the more powerful stories in the Bible and certainly the most powerful moments in Martha's life. Like I said, Martha had a sister named Mary, and Martha also had a brother named Lazarus. And this group was really close with Jesus. I mean, multiple times throughout the Gospels. They talk about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were just like boys with Jesus and the disciples, and they're all friends together. And one day, Jesus is told that Lazarus has gotten sick, like really sick. And it's in John chapter 11, it tells us this. A man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So Lazarus is sick. They send word to Jesus. They say, hey, our brother is sick, expecting he's going to come home and he's going to heal our brother. This is what Jesus was doing at the time. And we're told in the text, I don't have time to read the whole thing, but Jesus says he's sick and he waits an additional two days. And during that time, Lazarus dies. And Jesus then tells his disciples, it's as though he was waiting for the sickness to happen, or he wasn't in a rush to go change or stop the brother from dying. And he tells his disciples, hey, we're gonna go see Lazarus. And Jesus walks back towards the village where Mary and Martha and Lazarus has now been buried. His funeral has happened. And Martha's told by somebody, hey, Jesus is about to be here. Like he's, he's coming to the village to come see you. And she runs outside, she falls to the feet of Jesus. She says this, Lord, Martha said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus takes her to the tomb. He's basically in that exchange says, your brother will rise again. She says, man, I know someday he will rise. And he says, he will rise today. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Later in the story, we're told that Jesus waited in order for all of the funeral and everything to happen for him to pass away so that the power of God would be displayed. Her assumption was that if you were here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus basically responds with, I waited so that you and all those who look would see the power of God. But here's what happens that displays not just his control, his sovereignty is the word 
but his care. He walks up to the tomb of Lazarus and he's about to say, roll the stone away and bring this man back to life. And before he does, there's this crowd around the tomb and we're told Jesus just starts to weep. And he's weeping. I mean, not like a crocodile tear. The word in Greek is that he's bawling. Why? He's about to raise the man from the dead. Why are you crying? I mean, think about that. And he puts on full display the compassion of our God who looks death in the eyes and says it was never supposed to be like this. Does he care? Of course I care. I displayed it on a cross and I care more deeply about you than you care about you. And he says, Lazarus, come out of the tomb and this man comes back to life. And Martha again sees the care of her God despite the fact that it contradicted what she thinks if he cared, he would have done. But stress can make us assume and control and self-centered and project It's the side effects of stress. And finally, we see the positive example from Mary, but we also see something that I think is one of the single most profound sentences Jesus would ever speak. Gosh, this is like my favorite part of this week. Here's what he says. Let me read the verse before and the verse after. Remember the context. It's like 12 dudes and these two women bickering about, you know, the meal. She came and she said, Lord, don't you care? My sister's left me to do all the work. Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Scratch that. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. What did Jesus just say? Jesus, in front of these two women and 12 guys, bottom lines the entire point of existence on planet Earth. There is only one thing that matters at the end of the day, Martha, and it's what Mary is doing right now. That the entire point of your existence on planet Earth, that's why I say it's one of the more profound sentences. He said, you know, what's, you know what really matters in life? You know, a few things, actually, only one thing really matters, and it's what Mary's doing right now. What is Mary doing? Nothing She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's sitting in relationship with him. And he says, you know what the point of life is? You're concerned and consumed and you're stressed and you're worried and you're focused on all these things. And you know that none of those things matter. Let me tell you the one thing that matters in life. The one reason you're on the planet, Martha. The reason why every person who's ever been created and born and lives The only reason that you're here is to know me. It's a really profound thing. If I'm Jesus, I would have saved that line for a huge crowd of people outside. But this bro just chooses in the living room with Martha. Hey, the one reason you're on planet Earth is what Mary's doing, listening to me. And the one reason he would say to you, with all the stress and the fear and the concern and the weight, listen to me very closely. There is one reason you're here. And all these different messages are going to bombard you every single day about what you need to get done, what you haven't got done, what more you need to do. There is one thing that will actually bring you life and the one thing behind why you have life. 
And that's to know Jesus and to walk with Jesus. And he brilliantly says, there's only one thing that at the end of the day matters. It's not cooking, Martha. It's not business. It's not marriage. It's me. And you and every other person knowing me, the solution to stress is sitting with the Savior. Because in sitting, and by sitting, that just means sitting under the teaching of someone. That's what that idea meant, that she's sitting there listening to the teaching. She's sitting there learning from Jesus. And in doing so, she's experiencing her purpose. The reason God has her on this planet, which is also the solution to the stress that bombards us from all the different things that fight for our attention. And Jesus would say there's really one thing at the end of your life that makes it or breaks it as a success. And it's knowing me, only one thing that ultimately matters. So the solution to our stress, what does this look like? Practically for us, it's not gonna look like sitting in Martha's living room. It's gonna look like spending time reading your Bible and listening. Tomorrow when you wake up, I want you to open your Bible and spend five minutes. Maybe it's been five months, five years. Maybe it's been never since you read it. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the Welcome Center. It's a free gift for you. If you're listening online, check out Amazon. But if you don't have one, Open it up. Start in the book of John or any of the Gospels and just read a chapter and say, God, will you speak to me? See what happened. Take notes. Spend time then praying and just say, God, and Lord, hold on. Maybe you read a text and you're reminded God is in control. So God, will you help me today just to meditate? You're in control. You're in control over my job, my boss, my family, my future. You're, I'm just gonna hold on to that. Maybe it's that uh, you are for me. That you talk in this chapter about how much you love humanity and you gave your life. I'm gonna remember that because I'm gonna be tempted to think, oh no, God doesn't love me, doesn't, can't we just help me? And you just meditate on that for a day. But you were created to walk in relationship with God, created to experience your purpose. And that one thing is gonna involve you spending time praying, reading, listening, journaling out and telling God what you're feeling. And you know what happens when that takes place? It's like the more you spend time with Jesus, you begin to get clarity on the things that he says matter and even how to do those things that he says matter. And that clarity begins to give you some sort of sense of, hey, these are the things I should spend my time on not the only things I should spend my time on, but these are the focuses I need to at least make sure are a priority because the more that I listen and walk with Jesus, the more I experience peace and the more I experience life called abundant life, he calls it. And so I begin to be familiarized and know this is how I'm gonna use my time. Like pretend this represents your time. You got 24 hours in a day, you can't change that. I can't change that. Everybody's got the same amount of time. You, me, Beyonce, Thomas Edison, everybody but you can choose what you fill that time with. And this would represent just all the extra stuff. It's not bad stuff, it's your call of duty, which probably is not a great use of time, but it's, it's the uh, shopping at the mall, it's hanging out with friends, it's a happy hour at work, it's whatever it is. It's just resting and watching a football game. And if you're not careful and intentional, 
to put in the big rocks, the most important things in life, then your life becomes filled up and things that God commands to be a part, things that bring about the most peace, there's not room for. But if you say, hey, I'm gonna be intentional because God says, you know, I'm not supposed to walk through life alone. I need other people, other Christians in my life because life is hard, but it's a lot harder if I'm alone. So you know what? Big rock, I'm gonna make sure every week I meet with my guys group or my girls group. I'm gonna have people in my life. That's in there, man. And so Thursday nights, if we meet on Thursdays, does that mean I miss Thursday night football if it happens? Yeah, or we watch the game together. But that's a rock that I'm putting in there. What's another one? Spending time daily with God. I'm gonna spend time daily in God's word. What does that mean? It means that if I'm gonna work out with a bro or with somebody in the morning, I'm gonna wake up even earlier to spend time in God's word. Or after the workout, I'm gonna sit outside of my office building and I'm gonna open my Bible. Before I ever go inside of office, ever go to work, I'm gonna spend time, I'm gonna read. That rock's going in. I'm putting it in. I can't control everything. It's not the only thing's going in, but I'm gonna put that into my life. I'm gonna prioritize being serving and connected to a local church because God made you uniquely. You have gifts. You have a mind. There is no one on the planet that is like you. And he wants you to use those gifts to be a gift to other people. And you use the way he wired you. And so you decide, you know what? That's going to be what I do. I'm going to come serve at the porch. I'm going to come serve in my city. I'm going to go serve at the food banks downtown. And I'm going to push back darkness. Do you know how many kids need mentors in the education system inside of this city? The opportunities and the gifts and the resources you have. And Jesus says to whom much is expected or to whom much is given, much is expected. And you're going to stand before God and you're going to give him an account. Here's how I use my 20s. Here's how I use my life. How are you using them? But some of you guys are saying, no, that's a big rock, man. I'm putting that in. I'm going to serve like Christ served me. I'm going to serve and be a source of light in a really, really dark world. Not only that, I'm going to be plugged into a local church. I'm going to be connected. I'm going to walk authentic. I'm going to live in relationship with my family. They're not even believers, but I'm gonna prioritize praying for them, pursuing them, spending time with them, telling them about my life, and I'm gonna put those rocks in. And then all of a sudden, anything that I got left extra, it's not that I'm not still doing Call of Duty if that's your thing, or going shopping wherever you shop, but it's not taking over what's most important. And God's not against any of those neutral things. He is pro for you experiencing the abundant life. And the more you spend time with Jesus, I sit at his feet, that's what it means to be taught and learn this is the things that matter. And I can put into practice the things that matter. And that allows me other margin to still have fun, still relax and still travel with friends, do all of that, but not at the expense of filling up my life and not putting in the big rocks first. And Jesus says, there's one thing in life that matters and you're either gonna spend your life missing it or spend your life experiencing it. And that's knowing me and walking in relationship with me. Francis Chan said, who's an author, friend, been here before, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things that really don't matter in life. Am I saying that if you work 90 hours a week and you can't be a part of a church, you should change jobs? Yes. Am I saying you may need to get off dating apps because they're constantly making or breaking your day? Yes. Maybe. Am I saying that you should not go to that happy hour or birthday party this week because you have such a packed week? Maybe. Am I saying you may never be caught up with the latest Netflix trend that's going on that everybody's already watched and you're like, oh, another thing to do? Yes. You may never. But all those things are just additions and they're never meant to place the role of the big rocks and the thing, the one thing Jesus said you were made for.
What's crazy is Martha, the, the FOMO, you've got to think she had after. I can only imagine, because here's what happened. Martha has the Son of God in her living room. I'm about to land the plane right here. Son of God sitting in her living room. What more important person could come over for dinner or come into your house and you spend the entire time in the other room? I mean, think about it. This is like if Martin Luther King Jr. You had a chance to have dinner with him or Justin Bieber or Selena or whoever's your person that you're like, man, if I could only just have them or hang out with them. And they show up to your house and you're in the kitchen just baking cookies or something while they're in the other room. It's ridiculous. And yet she missed out. And I think that same reality of her missing out on spending time with the Son of God is going to be a reality that many people look back at their 20s and they look back at their 30s and they look back at a lot of their life and they go, I was missing out. What was I doing? I could have been knowing and deepening and walking with Jesus and I chose not to. So here's what I want to do. I want to give us a chance for 60 seconds. We're going to put a verse up on the screen. I just want you to look at it, and I want you to pray right where you are. Don't turn your phone back on. It's going to be right on the screens, and I just want you to do this. God, help me know where I'm distracted. Help me with my anxious feelings. You say in the verse we're going to look at that your burden is light. Help me to believe that and experience that and walk in that. Because you have promised to give me the life of Jesus and I want to adopt what living like Jesus looks like. Savior of the world who was the only person without a savior complex. And so as that happens, band will come up in a second. I just want you to read these verses. I just want to give you a moment to breathe and pray and ask God, to deepen and replace the panic at any level in your heart with his peace. And then I'm going to pray for us. Come back. Father, we live in a world that is constantly bombarding and fighting for our attention. I know there are friends in the room who are walking through and facing incredible stress, overwhelmed by circumstances, sometimes related to things totally outside of their control, weary, and you promise that those who are weary can come to you and find rest. And so I pray tonight that you would allow that to happen. 
And those who are tired would be strengthened. Those who are anxious would experience peace that they can't even explain in words. And you would help us to run in line with rhythms that lead to life, not exhaustion. Thank you that you walked on this planet and modeled what that looks like. And you gave your life for us and you allow us to model life after you. And to remember that at the end of the day, there is one thing that matters. Would like Mary, we choose it. In Christ's name, amen.